Welcome back to another episode of Crypto Curious on the Jasmine Star Show. I have to say that this has been an adventure. It has been so great. And I have to tell you, I'm a little bit embarrassed to admit, my husband listens to my podcast on occasion. But I have to tell you, he has not missed a Crypto Curious episode with many thanks to our ever faithful co-host, Daniel. Daniel, I'm so happy you're here. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Just again, happy to talk about crypto and we're here and we're doing it. So, And you should also be that. happy that JD is your biggest fan. Basically, he's more yeah. interested in what you have to say than me. So honestly, yeah, now that you said that he's listening, I'm kind of nervous now. Like, I, I got to make sure that I, you know, I, I got to make sure I'm doing everything right now. I mean, JD's listening. Don't change a thing. You know, what? I try so hard. I try so hard to be impressive to people and nobody really cares. JD doesn't give a rip and everyone's like, I want to impress him. <laughs> <laughs> I need I need a little bit more of what that guy has. Okay, so welcome back to week three. In week one, we really focused on what is an NFT. And in week two, we focused on how to buy an NFT. We literally walked you through how to set up a wallet. We walked you through how to find your NFTs. And Daniel used this really amazing analogy of a library. So, Daniel, do you want to give a recap of that analogy or should I just dive in? You know what? You can just dive in. Just, okay. Just jump right in. Okay. So, just as a recap, because I thought it was a really great analogy that will set the tone and the vibe for what we're going to do in this episode. So, you want to think of NFTs like books in a library. And the blockchain is the library. So, there are a group of people who can access the library. We all can access this library. And your, how do I remember this? I love such a good way. Yeah. Okay. So then who is the librarian? Right. So, okay. Uh, the librarian is OpenSea. So, yeah, the librarian is OpenSea. And then uh, MetaMask is your library card. Oh, it's what lets so you good. in. That's so good. <laughs> That's so good. And NFT of the library books. The blockchain is the library. OpenSea, where you can shop for NFTs and people can see what's in your wallet, that's the librarian. And MetaMask is your library card. We also dove into gas fees. So now you are educated on what that is. And those are basically processing fees for you to do stuff on the blockchain. Now we're going to get into this episode. So it's episode three. So we thought it very apropos to talk about Web3. Okay. So Daniel, we're going to start out with this banger. What is Web3? Right. Yeah. So um, stick with me on this one because I, I got to give you guys the history of the whole internet now to, to come to what Web3 is. Remember, we like simple stories and analogies. So feel, <laughs> feel free to like bring them on us. All right. So uh, if you guys remember in the past few episodes, we were talking about Ethereum, right? And Ethereum is a programmable blockchain. So if you remember that conversation, basically that just means that we can run programs on essentially what's a decentralized computer. Ethereum is like a decentralized computer. Um, so we're running programs on thousands of people's computers. So now imagine a world where you can search for something on Google and your search doesn't go to a central database like in Google's warehouses. It actually goes to a decentralized network where everyone can participate to give you the data you're looking for. So now to start with the history of all that. Web 1.0, people can host their site on the early internet. This is the most you can do, right? The most you can do is browse and read other people's websites. It was read only, right? It was blogs, so read only. 
And now we enter web 2.0. Think of companies like uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. This is where we are now. Um, our communication options have opened up and now we're able to read and write on the internet. So suddenly everyone can actually discuss things in an open web and, and this is great, you know, now we have public discourse on the web, but the problem is we don't own our data. The companies like Twitter and Facebook and Instagram do. Okay, so, so pause here. Web one, read only. Web two, we get to read and write. But the tricky exactly. part comes that anything that we're writing, that we're creating, that we're putting out is not owned by us, the content creator, the business owner. So this is where Web3 enters. So Daniel, take us away to Web3. Yeah. And uh, so then in comes Web3. And this is kind of, it's solving our problem here, right? So now we have the ability to read data like we do in, one, in Web1.0. And we have the ability to write data like we're able to in Web 2.0. But now we own the platforms that we interact on because our data is now hosted in a decentralized platform that we could all pull from. So just to recap, right, we have Web 1.0, read only, Web 2.0, read only and write only. And then we have Web 3.0, read, write and own the data. Mm. Okay, so Daniel, so for those who are listening, Daniel and I have had many conversations and we have this doc that we add notes to, and we're kind of keeping us on track. And Daniel, I'm going to throw you for a curveball because what I've been hearing from people who've listened to the first two episodes of the podcast is great, but what the heck does it even mean? Like, so we own it. Like, what, what does this mean? So I have a hypothesis. And so I would like to hear what you think when business owners, when just the average public, great, so you own it, but what? Like, why does this matter? Yeah, definitely. Are you talking about NFTs? Like, so if you own an NFT, what does that really mean? Well, like, for instance, you say we can write and read in Web 2. And in Web 3, you could write, read, and own it. But just because you own it, like, what are you doing with it? How does it help us? How does it, why should we care that we could own it? And outside of like the, the, the philosophical, we should be owners of the thing we create, obviously. But like, what does this mean for business? Like, what does it mean for social media? Absolutely. Now, I mean, this is definitely the part of crypto that really excites me. And maybe I get too ahead of myself, maybe even too political with it. But <laughs> where I ended up going with it is the Internet is a place of discourse, like I was saying, right? We're, we want to be able to say what we want to say. And we don't want to be silenced. We want, you know, that's the whole, our, we have entire democracies founded on, you know, the right to free speech. And we find ourselves today in a place with, with Web 2.0 where, you know, these major platforms are able to kind of look at the speech that's on their platform and make sure it follows their guidelines, which is fine. It follows, you know, when you sign up to a website, you are signing up to their terms and conditions, and they are responsible for all the stuff that happens on their platforms. And now that all changes with Web 3.0, right? No one's responsible for what's happening on these platforms because we all own it. But I think the added benefit that comes with that, when you own your data, you're able to say, if I agree with this, if I really believe in what I'm saying, I want it to stay open and on the internet so that anyone can read it. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of just like, I'd like to imagine that with web 2.0, maybe you're, maybe you're like me, you're that guy screaming at the corner of the street, but someone could come and pick you up and say, Hey, you got to get out of here. <laughs> mm -hmm. But now in web 3.0, you're that guy at the corner of the street and everyone's just like, you know, that's cool. 
you know, there's a ton, there's tons of corners around here. We could all go scream at our own corner and we could all listen to each other and learn a lot from each other. So when it comes to the actual just discourse part, um, owning your data is a big part of it. And also I think there's something about the data being available forever, right? If mm-hmm. you're trusting Twitter to keep all of your tweets for infinity, is that really going to happen? We don't know. Like basically the safety of your data is in the hands of Twitter and it's under the assumption that Twitter is going to be around for 10, 20, 30, 40 more years. Which if you were putting out content on MySpace, if you were putting out content on Friendster, if you were putting content out on Whale, like they've disappeared along with everything you ever thought that mattered. Which is why when people think in like the foreseeable future, so many people are using platforms like Instagram, say, and that's like their digital album. But there could come a point in time at some point in the foreseeable future that like Instagram becomes less and less relevant. And then Instagram decides to like to be acquired or Instagram decides to just not care anymore. And then what happens then? There is something beautiful about being a creator. Now, if you are a business coach and you decide to go and create a video teaching about business coaching and you have it on a platform that disappears, what would it look like for you to create content that stands with you for a while that has your mark. Now, a couple of years ago, Instagram came out and publicly said like, hey, we own your data. And there was a lot of buzz within the photography community of like saying like, wait a minute, anytime we put a photo on Instagram, Instagram can do whatever it wants with it. Now, obviously we trust that Instagram won't do anything with it, but theoretically, like just putting this out there, if Instagram had taken, um, let's just say one-tenth of every professional photographer's photo and then put them out on a database where people can download the photos for free and use them for their own business, people would be up in arms, but it would not be against the terms of their business. And so all of a sudden we have succumbed and said, okay, if we want to be on Instagram, we have to agree to those terms and whatever happens with that content, it's actually outside of our hands because we're choosing voluntarily to upload this content in the future as business owners. And as creatives, we are going to put something out and say, it is ours. It's origin belies with me. And whatever happens on the internet, I will always be that singular point of content of saying, I was the original, I was the creator. And what does this turn into in the future? Um, we got a, a text message. So we send text messages reminding people, hey, join us for this live recording of the podcast. And one of the responses that we got was, what is NFTs and what does cryptocurrency have to do with social media? If I were to answer you right now, and Daniel, I would love for you to answer, but my like tin hat theory is not much. Yet, it will. I I don't have the brain big enough and nor do I even understand the concept, but what we're doing on Instagram and what we're doing on Facebook, it will be mirrored, it will be shadowed, it will be copied, it will be replicated in a similar yet wildly different way on the blockchain. So the the, the, the mannerisms of how you scroll and what you search and and the conversations that you're having will happen very, very similar on the blockchain. So I am out here looking at business owners saying that I, I don't, I feel crazy, but I'm like, that's the future. We have the opportunity to get ahead of it. We have the opportunity to use currency that is leveling the playing field for any business owner, period. And then in the future, at some point, there is going to be a form of social media that exists on the blockchain that looks very similar to what Facebook and Instagram do. And we own the content. We have it. It sits with us in perpetuity. And then that becomes a game changer, at least in my opinion. Okay, I'm off my soapbox. I'm off yelling in my corner. Daniel, what do you see how this matters in regards, say, to social media? 
I'm actually so happy you brought that up because I'm also seeing that Diana had a question about that in the chat. And I'm going to read that out real quick because yes. it's actually just it's a great segue into what I want to get into. Um, so she says, I guess I just don't understand why everyone is posting NFTs as their Twitter profile pic. Why does it matter? Um, I, I think that is the prime example of where things are heading uh, right now. If you look at Twitter uh, and just for anyone who doesn't know what's going on on Twitter right now, uh, if you check out a profile. Uh, some of them will have like a hexagonal shape and you'll see the image is like, you know, maybe it's not a picture of a human. Maybe it's like a picture of a cartoon of like a cat or something. Right. Uh, or just something really funky. And it's like, okay, this is clearly some NFT that's being framed as a profile picture. And we were talking about that uh, a few episodes ago, uh, profile picture NFTs, right? These are some of the most popular, uh, NFT collections out there. And, uh, I do want to get into like, what is the reason behind uh, people setting NFTs as profile pictures? So much so that Twitter ended up feeling like, hey, we should formalize this behavior into a feature on our platform. Because um, this has been a trend for a while now in the crypto space is, you know, you, you know, taking your NFT and making it a profile picture. But the fact that it's become such a popular trend that Twitter has turned it into a feature is telling me that this is the way things are trending, at least for now. And I think it really speaks to even some of our past conversations, Jasmine, about how your NFT is quite literally your identity. I mean, it's, it's your profile picture now. Mm -hmm. So I could argue to a degree it is your identity and it's, it's something that you pride yourself with. It's like wearing that Gucci belt. Exactly. That's what we talked in episode two is that we buy Gucci bags or drive a certain type of car. We do things to broadcast a level of taste, a level of wealth, or even just identity. You might drive a total beater and you're wearing an old t-shirt from a band who you still happen to follow. That's still broadcasting a form of your identity. What NFTs are going to be doing are broadcasting a piece of your identity online. Now let's boil this back even further. And while I can't connect the dots or put out the lily pads of how we'll get here in the future, there will be a group of people who would want to support your business publicly by showcasing an NFT that they have purchased on behalf of your business. Now, if you start coming to me and be like, yeah, but what are all the ideas? I don't know quite yet. I'm sure as hell dedicated at figuring out what it means for my business and everything I learn and do, I will be sharing along the way because I believe that there has never been a human, like in recent history, a time for people to play a new game in a new way, create the rules and be the first to market. There are those who are going to be daring. I have had a lot of resistance to a lot of people sending like DMs or just being like, if I have to hear another crypto thing, I'm just going to plug my ears. And there were people who plugged their ears in web too. There were people who plugged their ears when Twitter came out. There were people who plugged their ears when the television came out. There were people who plugged their ears when the radio came out. There were people who plugged their ears when the newspaper came out. But guess what? Those things kept on going because that was how the world was changing. I think we're having a conversation to be like, hey, guys, the world's changing. We don't really know how, but get yourself educated and figure out how it's going to work. And we're going to try doing that in episodes to come. But as we talk about NFTs and we're talking about, oh, people using NFTs as a Twitter profile, it's becoming a form of self-identity. People want to know where is your NFT stored? Yeah, definitely. So this is probably one of the most, in my opinion, one of the most controversial things about NFTs. It's and pretty ironic. Yeah, it is very ironic after a lot of the things I say and a lot of the things I believe in as a person. <laughs> <laughs> but most people, they don't know this. Uh, NFT data is not hosted on the blockchain. Uh, dun, dun, dun. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, so now you might be thinking, wait, what? Like, why? Why? I thought everything was on the blockchain. I thought it was immutable. I thought no one can, you know, remove this data. Um, so let me kind of just jump into like what's going on, right? Well, it's really, really prohibitively expensive to store image or video data on the blockchain. For that reason, a lot of NFT creators will store their metadata, or let's just say for you know ease of conversation here, like their pictures, they'll store all of that stuff in a centralized hosting service like Dropbox or Google, or in a decentralized service like IPFS, which I'll, I'll jump into in a second, but I just want to make that distinction real quick, right? Some people will host their NFTs in something in something centralized like Dropbox or Google or somewhere decentralized. And these these are very new uh, ways of storing data. But it's kind of coming out as a winner right now where it's like you're able to still have all of the wins that you get with decentralized technologies with the ease of centralized technologies like Dropbox. So we're using the blockchain to verify the identity and like the ownership of it. But where that thing actually exists is still out in places that are fully like accessible, like Dropbox. Exactly. It, it's okay. literally what's happening on the blockchain is there's just think of it of, uh, as like a deed. You know, it's just saying, hey, mm -hmm. Daniel owns this house, but it's not it's not me and it's not the house. Mm -hmm. It's just the deed. And that's the way I like to look at it. It's just the deed is on the blockchain and it's saying this person owns this NFT. Wait, and so we're going to be doing, do you think we're going to be doing deeds for houses on the blockchain? Honestly, I was kind of saving that for the last episode, but that's where I see things going. I think NFTs are going to be the new way of like record of ownership. That's, that would that's, be amazing. What, that's the big picture. I would be like, why can I do that now? I actually think it's bananas that we have, like, I know people think it's crazy. Jade and I are like really young to have life insurance. I had life insurance since I was 25. Is that the weirdest thing? It's so <laughs> weird. It's so weird. But I wish I had policies. I wish I had my deed. I actually wish that I had my adoption formalization for our daughter on the blockchain. I don't want to be responsible for it. Like I want right? to know that it's there. I want it to be attached to me. I want my health records to be on the blockchain. Like I want to know <laughs> I own that trash. It is mine. Y'all, <laughs> like I just, my mind just started firing a thousand times over. If I'm a realtor, yo, if I'm a mortgage broker, yo, if I'm in the finance industry, like I need to figure this stuff out. We don't need to know the how yet. We just need to know the why and we need to believe that that's where we're going. For anybody who wants to be a pioneer, this is not for the faint of heart. This is not for people who can't stomach it. These are for the dreamers. These are for the believers. These are the people who look at fail, quote unquote failures as life lessons. Ah, y'all, I'm just on a roll. Okay, we will save that for future episodes. And we're going to come back to that like as a form of ideation. So Absolutely. we now know the blockchain is just like the central, like this is proof. This is proof that you own the NFT. But if you bought an NFT, there's a good chance that it is existing on like Google Drive or Dropbox. But you also mentioned an IPFS. Yes, yes. So I also do want to say, yes, there are some things that are, you know, are centralized. Like some of these images are hosted in Google and Dropbox. But I'm, I think I'm starting to see now a lot of projects are moving to decentralized services for hosting their images which now here we are, IPFS, right? Uh, let's jump into like what it is. I don't want to get too deep into any of the technologies, but I just want to give like a high level understanding of what it is. So IPFS is short for Interplanetary File System. 
Okay, that just sounds like the geekiest thing. Interplanetary <laughs> filings. Come on, Daniel. That sounds like a freaking made up name. Okay. It, okay. it most definitely is. I just, I, I think a lot of people in the crypto space just kind of have fun naming things like okay. <laughs> interplanetary <laughs> file system. <laughs> okay. All right. Right. So um, it's just a fancy way of storing your images on a decentralized network where thousands of people are participating to store images on their hard drive. And so this is preferable to storing your NFT on a centralized server like Google, because like I was saying earlier, we can't guarantee that Google is not going to take down the image or mm. that they're just going to stay around long enough. Maybe they'll go bankrupt, right? So storing it on IPFS means that it will stay there as long as people are hosting the files. That's awesome. And there's, That's and there's awesome. other technologies out there that like, it's called pinning. I don't want to get too far into that, but basically understand that there's even more things you can do to like really keep your image sticky and pretty much stay in existence forever. Okay. So there's thousands of people who store their image on their hard drives. So this is like, don't worry if Google disappears and don't worry if a single person who's a part of the IPFS disappears because there's multiple people. Think of this as like a web of a lot of people storing that image, correct? Exactly. Okay, good. No single point of failure. Ooh, I like that. No single point of failure. I wish that was a theme in my life. Okay, so uh, what's left? The NFT, it holds data that asserts you are the rightful owner. Can you explain what, what we're talking about right here? Yeah, definitely. So like I was saying earlier, it's like the deed, right? So if, yes. if we now with this new understanding, so we have the user, so your wallet address, your MetaMask, owns an NFT, which... Uh, is basically just saying, hey, this wallet owns uh, this uh, data that's hosted at this link. And that link is, let's just say, in IPFS. And uh, so that's basically all it is. It's just saying this person owns this. And to zoom out even more, um, your NFT, right, is a program on the blockchain. So it's you have your address you run a program on the blockchain that's going to spit out a value. It's going to say, hey, this address owns this image. So that, that's the like high-level view of like how things are working with NFTs under the hood. Honestly, I think I'm getting you guys pretty close to how things are actually working under the hood now that I'm thinking about it. Okay, well, that's good. That's good. That's good. It's better for us to have like a better understanding. Now, this, this episode was going to be a little bit shorter, but a little bit more dense. And so what we're really focusing on right now is that your the quote unquote deed, like proof of purchase of the NFT exists on the blockchain. But the NFT, like that JPEG, if you decide to get a JPEG, it exists on a drive like Google or Dropbox or in a really cool, you know, naming system for filing, which is interplanetary file system where a bunch of people are hosting that image on their hard drives, further protecting you. So one of the questions we had last week that I think kind of fits in a little bit with this week is people are asking about taxes. Do I pay taxes on NFTs? Yeah. So it, it's an interesting, it's an interesting concept around it all. Cause it's to a degree unenforceable because it's like, okay, something happened on the blockchain. First of all, who did it? Second of all, how does the government actually get their hands on this money? Right. Cause it's not a bank account that they could have access to, but um, you know, if you are being uh, a, a good citizen, following your laws, uh, there are uh, taxes that you have to be aware of with NFTs. And my understanding, as it is right now, 
is that they tax it like ordinary income and you could be subject to a tax rate as high as 37%. But again, I'm not an accountant, so I can't be entirely sure. And I recommend that everyone talks to their family accountant, or I'm sure there's something on TurboTax somewhere that you can look into, but it's, it's definitely like this stuff is all so new. Okay. A lot of the tax laws around here. Hold on. Let me have a sip of my (laughs) AC. What percentage? We're just playing again. We're speculating. Right. What percent of people do you think are paying taxes on their NFT? Just, it's a guess. It's a guess. Yeah. Well, honestly, I think it's a very, 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 very small minority. I do too. I do too. I do too. <laughs> I'm like, it feels like it's an offshore account that nobody can track. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I, I I don't know. I, I am not advocating. Like y'all, like for those of you who don't know, I have been the recipient of every Pell Grant, Kell Grant. My family's been a recipient of money. Like I gladly and happily wrote a rather large check every quarter to the IRS because I'm given into the system that has given so generously to me. This is me not at all advocating that nobody pay their taxes. I just think, huh, do we pay taxes because we're afraid of getting cut? I don't know. I'm not even in that space yet. I, I just don't even don't even have that wherewithal. Definitely do your own research. Like Daniel had said, check out TurboTax. Like it's uncharted waters right now. Do the best due diligence as possible. Make the best decision for you. This is not financial advice, nor are we advocating one way or another, which is like hypothesis. Like what do you actually think? Okay. So um, I want to go back to one of the live questions. Diana had said, can you speak about the benefits associated with NFT purchases? Are they like VIP passive to exclusive perks? They can be in episode two. Now we record this episode live and we're doing it one week in advance. So if you're watching live, right, you are Diana in episode two, if you go to jasminestarpodcast.com, you can actually listen to episode two. And we actually talked about ancillary benefits to NFTs. Some NFTs include perks like VIP access. Some include perks like um, going to a conference. There is an NFT that I've had my eye on and it's a designer and a jewelry designer. And the designer is creating an art piece of a woman wearing a piece of jewelry. And when you buy that NFT, you actually get the jewelry that the woman in the photo is wearing. Earrings or a necklace or a ring or a bracelet. I thought it was really fascinating. So you're buying an NFT, this digital piece that lives out in a drive somewhere or in the interplanetary file system. And the the existence, the deed exists in the blockchain. And yet I get to wear a necklace or a pair of earrings. The drop happened. They sold out. Everybody's waiting on bated breath for like the next drop. I think it's very fascinating. The value of it has been driven up. It's really a cool project. Either way, there are some NFTs that don't come with diddly squat, except for the fact that you had to use it as your Twitter bio uh, photo profile. Okay. So another question that has come in, any clarifying questions? So what does this have to do with social media? And we answered, it doesn't have anything necessarily to do quite yet. We're in the beginning of using this technology and figuring out what's next. And who knows? Maybe Daniel and I will create. What if we're, what if we are the future founders of NFT Instagram? You never know. We could be. Jasmine, don't spoil it. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody who's listening, I hope that you build out your profile on Instagram. Okay. So Daniel, is there anything else that's kind of floating through the top of your mind? Anything happened in the past week in NFT land? Anything that you, well, actually, let's not talk about what we want because people will think that it's like an implied endorsement and we're not going to quite go there. Anything that's floating around that's kind of cool. 
I, I am seeing one question right now in the chat and it's uh, why do I want to own NFTs or why do I even want to create one for my business? And I think that, I think that's an interesting question. And I think we, we've had a few conversations about this, Jasmine. There's a few things that come to mind immediately for me. One is funding for your business. And I mean, this works even for artists, right? That's where we're predominantly seeing right now is artists using it for funding. But I think I see a future where uh, we're going to see NFTs funding startups. It's going to be the new way to fund startups. So if you think about it, who are the people buying NFTs right now from artists, right? Is it like the casual listeners? Is it the people that heard them once on the radio? Or is it like the diehard fans that love this artist, go to all their concerts, have all their merch? And I mean, I know where I lean on this. I think it's probably the, you know, the diehard fans. Mm -hmm. So uh, in the same way that if someone has a startup or there is a founder who is extremely popular and has a great following, like Gary Vaynerchuk, you know, you think of things like this where it's like NFTs are going to fund businesses because there are going to be diehard customers that want to fund the business and see it succeed. And they need a product that, you know, is going, is going to fix a need that is so dire that they are willing to fund it themselves. So, of course, there are less diehards out there, but those diehards are going to end up being the majority of the money that you're making as a startup in the beginning. Mm. So I mentioned in episode one that Mila Kunis, wife of Ashton Kutcher, famed investor, she's an actress. And you would look at her and you would think she probably she's probably living an OK life. She probably has money to fund a project. But she is a female director and wanted to produce a movie and didn't have the funding. And it was right during COVID. And there were no movies that were being created because nobody knew what was happening in the world. So she and a co-producer decided to put together an NFT project called Stoner Cats. And they sold this NFT to fund their movie. And anybody who bought that first drop of Stoner Cat can now say, I have this little tiny cat but what it really represents was somebody in the know who saw the potential that Mila Kunis had as a female director. And then later, when the movie comes out, there are ancillary perks to that movie coming out. What would it look like? Like, I've always taken pride in being bootstrapped for social curator. Do I think that this will be how we go forever? I don't know. But if I had the choice of asking investors in Silicon Valley to invest in social curator who don't really get who I am or know what I do or know the people we serve, or I have an opportunity to go to people and say, listen, I want to do this really cool thing on the inside of social curator. And do you want to be a part of it? And on the back of being a part of it, it's like you become a micro investor for the business. So you might think like, oh, I have like, I always kind of have this dream. It's a little bit weird. It's not necessarily a JPEG in a written form, but I thought to myself, what if I were to take photos? Like I'm a photographer. I take a photo of something that then becomes the JPEG that is the NFT and people get to fund the next iteration of whatever project I'm working on. If I want to build a movie and I've never built a movie and no one would ever give me money, but there's people who are like, I like your point of view. I think it'd be fun. And you want to buy an NFT for 0.16 ETH. And you're like, I think it's a good investment. And over time, that movie ends up being the unexpected indie black stallion. And you're like, dang, I saw it before I saw it. Friends, that's the friggin' future. That's me on my soapbox. How did I do, Daniel? freaking loved it i was i was right there the whole time i mean because you're you're like my mr miyagi like you're my yoda like i never saw this it took me and if you're sitting here right now and you're like jasmine has like eaten shrooms for lunch listen it's been months danny and i have been talking about this for months and i'm like this is scary i don't get it this is weird this is geeky it's not going to be this and then all of a sudden i'm like oh it's a it's a thing like this is a thing and we don't even know what the thing is all we have to know is like there's gold in them hills. Do we know how to get the gold? No. 
Are we finding our way to the hills? Yes. Are we going to need like picks and axes on the way? Yeah, probably. But we're going to head in that direction. One thing that I thought was like really interesting, and I sent it to Daniel on Instagram. That they're calling it the most expensive pizza ever. So a few years ago, when Bitcoin was like just a thing and not really worth much, a guy on Twitter said, oh, hey, I'll pay somebody. I think it was like 400, 400 Bitcoin or something oh. random. I'll pay somebody 400 Bitcoin in exchange for a pizza. So somebody on Twitter is like, okay, put put the 400 Bitcoin in my wallet, which is virtually worth really, not, it's like worth pennies at the time, right? And so then this guy says, give me your address. And so this one guy sends the other guy 400 Bitcoin and then he gets a pizza at his door years ago, gets two, gets two pizzas, baby girl's happy. He doesn't think he's lost much. Well, now they're saying that pizza was $80 million. That guy in today, Bitcoin worth, bought two pizzas from Domino's for $80 million. Y'all, this is just years ago. This is just a few years ago. Imagine what could happen in the future. And Diana also wrote in the chat that Bitcoin has dropped. And if you've been kind of like watching it now, again, the time of this recording, it can go live in a week and something massive could happen. And the reason why Bitcoin has dropped at the time of this recording is that Ukraine is at war. So the entire stock market, a lot of things are shifting. There's a lot of uncertainty in the world, which is why it could possibly, maybe, I said possibly, like I'm from Jersey, possibly be contributing to it. Daniel, am I, am I crazy with that hypothesis? It's definitely, I mean, world events are always a factor in all of this stuff. I think definitely like what's going on is a, is a, is a big uh, factor in the price, but there's even just a cycle to the way things work with crypto. There's just ups and downs. And I hate to do this, but I am saving that for the next episode where we're talking about like a lot of the culture around it and all that stuff. But uh, it is a really interesting phenomenon as, as being someone who's been watching the space for so long. At this point, I'm like almost used to these ups and downs. I'm kind of like th that meme where there's like that one person on the roller coaster where everyone's like screaming like this. And I'm just there like, <laughs> just sitting there with like a blank face, like, you know, you know, is this your first rodeo? You know, I've, I've been here before. <laughs> Speaking of being here before, I have to let people know at the time of this recording that I have received multiple messages. Something, this is actually a quote, what a shame. You should stick to social media. I'm unfollowing. And this was coming from a person in the text message community. And so when I saw that, it was, it was a big sigh of relief. It was a blessing release. Why? Because I've been here before. The world ebbs and flows. There are highs and there are lows. And there are people who are meant to be on the journey you're on for a short bit of time. And there are others who are meant to be on your journey for a prolonged period of time. If there are people who are dissatisfied or upset or frustrated that I'm talking about something that is in direct opposition to their safety, they will let me know. But safety is a form of mind. People feel unsafe when they are challenged or when something new comes along. I have chosen at every point in my career to remain strategically unsafe a little bit of the time. It's in that free fall, it's in the unsafety that allows us and breeds for exploration, that breeds for curiosity, that breeds for innovation. I will tell you that if I am not talking about something new in one year, please unfollow me. Please unfollow anybody who is trying to maintain or keep the status quo. My objective to, mean, to remain relevant 
as a CEO, as a founder, as a leader, as a content creator, is to explore and make mistakes publicly. So I can look back and say, what did I learn from that? What can I share with you? At this point in time, in 2023, I could look back and be like, that five-part series was such a friggin' mess. Wow, what an idiot I was. Or I can equally, with just as much possibility, if not more, if I'm being honest, look back and be like, that was the start. Good for you for not knowing what the heck you were talking about, but being willing to talk and create and iterate and show. And if at the end of this five-part series, you're just like, I still hate crypto. I'm not about NFTs. Good. You have an opinion about it. Before you were just like a headline runner. Now you're like, it's definitely not my thing. Good. We did what we wanted to do. This has been an adventure. It is an honor. It is a privilege. I'm going to, Daniel, anything else? No, honestly, I was just thinking, I can't possibly follow this up. That was like the most amazing way to frame like if you are not innovating if you if you don't feel scared you're not innovating mm, Daniel, who, doesn't, who does not love this guy and i'm going to bring on our podcast producer to give a brief recap before we close this party out christy take us away hi can you hear me we can hear you okay just want to make sure <laughs> um hi guys i'm christy i'm a podcast producer for the jasmine star show um yeah i feel kind of uncomfortable following that up too i feel like you just like took us to church and then i'm like <laughs> i roll i roll it's i'm like, like let me here. just let me just uh like amateurly explain to you not as well as daniel what you just learned but this is all for the voice of the people. This is so that uh, we ensure that we are delivering value. As somebody who is unfamiliar with this topic, I just want to make sure that, you know, <laughs> we are getting clarity. So what I learned from this episode um, is about a lot about Web3. Web3 is relatively new, it seems, where Web1 was kind of like when you could search on Google and you could like read things on the internet. Web2 was when you could actively participate. I mean, I guess it kind of started with blogs and then it continued on with social media where it opened up the web for you to be able to like actually participate, right? And Web2. And then Web3, we can read data write data, um, and then we can also own things on the internet. It's like it, right? It's like you can't, it's so hard to put it into words, but you know what? As I'm saying this out loud, yes, I understand it. Yes, I understand that it's relatively important for the whole space, but it's not necessarily important to me in terms of buying my first NFT. Like to me, right? Like this right. is kind of heady. I'm like, right. it's great. I'm glad we talked about this. I'm glad we all have this foundation. But if anybody's listening to the podcast right now and you're feeling like me where you're like, I sort of get it. I think Daniel and Jasmine and I would all agree. It's okay if you're not like, oh, yeah, 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 Web3, let me go give a seminar on this. Like, that's okay. You don't need to give a seminar. Last episode, you learned how to open up your wallet. You learned how to purchase an NFT. And that's the most important thing. So if you still haven't done that, uh, definitely go back and listen to part two and get download our workbook at jasminestar.com forward slash NFT checklist because it walks you through every step of the way. Um, and then other things we kind of talked about is like when our NFT is are stored, right? Which is like in that interplanetary uh, file, file system, system or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, which is just like a fancy way of storing your images, images on like a decentralized network where like everyone is, it seems like those gas fees that we talked about last episode, like that's kind of paying for that system, right? Like we're all paying to keep it running. So we all own it? Actually, it's actually completely separate. Okay. Those gas fees are just for transactions on the blockchain. Okay. But since like IPFS isn't on the blockchain, there's basically no fees. Uh, okay, okay, okay. I understand. Um, but but what I don't understand though is like, you know, when you say that the interplanetary file system is where our NFTs are stored, 
but then you say it like lives on Google Drive. I don't understand how it's it can either be or, right, Daniel? Oh, mm-hmm. okay, that's so, right. Yeah. So for people who, so for people who don't really like, who don't really think that Google will live in perpetuity, and they have a belief that the interplanetary file system, there's more like there's more protection to it. More people have access to it. So they're saying like, hey, choose Google, choose interplanetary file system, one or the other. I got you. Okay, great. I was just, I wanted to make sure of that. Um, awesome. And then, you know, we talked, we answered some listener questions about what it has to do with social media. We talked about um, why we want to own NFTs, benefits associated with NFTs and taxes. Um, and most of those things were were answered really in detail. Um, but that's what I gathered from this, from this episode. Did I nail it? You nailed it, girl. Yeah. A plus. You nailed it. Well, I'm actually going to give you a 93, which is an A minus, because you weren't <laughs> sure that the difference between Google and the interplanetary system. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Daniel. Daniel is unfamiliar with my savagery with Christy. Christy and oh, I go yeah. back and forth all day. Like, who can yeah. one up on a meme? Who can catch a grammar typo? <laughs> like, Christy and I, we come from the same ilk. We're competitive oh. over things that nobody cares about. And we're we're both Enneagram threes. So we're just like, <laughs> we are in. <laughs> It is so intense. Okay, we are very intense. But 93. I'll take that, it. I'll take <laughs> <laughs> uh, but for all intents and purposes, Christy hit the nail on the head when it came to this was the foundation for anybody who wanted to go deeper. Does it impinge, impact, or affect how you buy your NFTs? No. But now you're wiser. You're wiser. And I always think that knowledge is power. So we're just going to serve you up the tools. You get to choose what you're going to put in your arsenal. But next week, we're going to get into how to sell an NFT. We're also going to be answering questions. So as you have them, please, we are reading them in our text message community. We are reading, I'm reading them on my DMs. Um, Feel free. You can also shoot me an email you know, podcast at jasminestar.com. We'll take your, we'll take your questions however they come because this has been meant to serve and serve well. Like always, jasminestar.com forward slash NFT checklist. So you get all of the recordings, the links and a place to write your notes. It is an honor and it is a privilege. And what we'll do, Christy, is we should probably end this episode with that cheesy crypto curious music. So we're going to fade out to that since we didn't start this episode, but a shout out for that. And for those who are tuning in live at this recording, I want to say, Thank you. People who are listening to this audio, the past few weeks, we've had somewhere around 70 to 80 people joining us. We are recording at a different point in time and we didn't send a notification. And so we have a whopping eight people who are here. And watch me next week. Still tune in if one person is here. I have always believed that I am here to speak to one person. I am sharpening my teeth. I am learning what I do. And if I cannot show up for one person, God forbid I ever desire to show up for 100,000. May we all act and behave today in our present self to get what we want in the future. So if I am willing to show up for eight, I hope you are willing to show up for eight and appreciate the eight because the eight will tell one other person. And next week we might have 16. And the following week we might have 30 something because I'm not very good at math. And the following week we might have like, I don't know, I'm not even really good at math. It's exponential. Care about one, they lead to others. Many blessings, y'all. Have a good one. Take care. Bye. Thanks, guys.